Hello, welcome to the podcast Real People, Real Lives, Women Immigrants of New York, a storytelling project from New Women New Yorkers. Real People, Real Lives highlights a diverse picture of immigrant women living in the city. It elevates these narratives, moving beyond statistics and political rhetoric. In the summer and fall of 2020, we interviewed immigrant women from all walks of life. They were selected through an open call or contacted directly to ensure the participation of women from different backgrounds and affected by the pandemic in various ways. The participants talked about their immigrant experience within the backdrop of a year like no other, marked by the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the presidential election. Each story you will hear is a unique mix of determination, hope, challenges, and victories, small and big. Today meet Leila, a journalist from Egypt. After reporting on historic events, such as the Arab Spring and the trial of Egyptian President Osni Mubarak, Leila landed in the U.S. in 2017, following a stint in Miami. Where her husband completed a medical residency, the couple came to New York City to look for more opportunities. Used to tell other people's stories, Leila joins the Real People, Real Lives project as the subject of a story for once. One step at a time, she's eager to change narratives, telling stories that inspire and move away from stereotypes. Here is her story. Growing up, I felt sometimes that I didn't fully belong because I went to mostly English-speaking school. English was actually more of my first language. In, the, in Egypt, if you can afford to do so, you do go to an international school. So people go to English or American or German schools or whatever. And it's not like you need to be ridiculously well off like here to go to a private school. Like it's just if you can afford it, you do it because public schools are not great. And most parents want their kids to be able to then study abroad. I did my undergraduate studies in Toronto and Canada. As soon as I graduated and worked as a journalist, it was like my world was shattered. I met people from all walks of life, you know, going to rural Egypt, even at some points. It was a bit of a re-culture shock. People, like maybe there were some points where people would not understand where I was from. And, you know, people would just point out like, no, you're not Egyptian. And I'm like, no, I am Egyptian. And I was just having to just prove my identity. At the end of the day, eventually, I just became at peace with the fact that I have these two worlds that influence me between my mom and my dad. And they made me who I am. And they made me open and tolerant to understanding people from different cultures. And it took me a while to reach that point. And I still struggle with that sometimes. I found myself also at odds with the majority of the conservative values in Egypt. I mean, Egypt is a huge country and there's a bit of everything. You can find your group of people, but overall it is a conservative society. It's not as conservative of, as like Saudi Arabia or anything like that. You can still wear what you want to a certain extent and you can go to the beach and still wear bikinis and stuff, but people are living parallel life. There's those who can afford it go to private beaches and wear whatever they want. But if you go to public beaches, it's a completely different world. And I didn't know if I wanted to live like that anymore, completely in a parallel life. And so I left and went and did my first master's in London. <laughs> 
at SOAS and I studied Middle Eastern law and politics. I switched more towards policy and analysis. So I worked at the British Embassy for a year. I mean, home is still Egypt for me, but I'd say my second home is where I don't feel different. And I felt different in Egypt, by the way, because I was half Italian. So New York, Toronto, London, all these places is where I truly feel at home, to be honest. Egypt is home because that's where my family is. That's where I grew up. But home is where nobody looks at you funny. Nobody judges you for being different. You can wear what you want. You can do what you want. People, you meet people from all kinds of languages. And it's at the end of the day, that could be your home. Like Your home is where everyone is also trying to find a home, in a way. I came just the year that Trump was elected. When I first moved, I was not able to work for about seven months because my husband's a citizen and I just, with Trump, it just became a longer period of time. And before it used to take about one to two months. And that's what we thought coming in. As soon as he was done his residency program in Miami, I said, let's please move to New York or DC. And also he applied for a fellowship and that's how we both made it to New York. So it worked best for both of us. My time here has made me realize how the American dream is not a real thing. <laughs> and uh, oh, this might be very controversial to say. I grew up in a context where we were very critical of the U.S. because of its foreign policies, and especially in the Middle East. I was just kind of more aware that the U.S. is not this number one country that people think it is here. And I think all the people who I know who lived abroad or worked abroad realize this. Yes, on one hand, there is a chance to really innovate here more than anywhere else. Like you can you have the best top places to do research, the top places to do science. If you want to do a business, the capacity for doing so is great. So if you have the tools... You could say that there is that huge chance of opportunity. But my image of the country here being the same for everyone is not the case. And I think living here, I realized this even more because I saw firsthand how like, I went to Canada and the UK where you just walk into a clinic and you don't have to pay anything. You know? There are different levels of payments and things and how basically if you fall, you'll fall very hard. I feel in the US. There's no, there's nothing to catch you. And if you make it, you can make it big. So I think that's an unfair path because so many people have potential and they just need that capacity to be supported initially. And you see this mostly with minorities and immigrants. I'm seeing it's changing. People are raising, becoming more aware, you know, with progressive movements and all of this. The U.S. is still behind in maternity leave and paternity leave and all these things. And I'm hoping our generation changes that. So that's where I, that's actually the dream more than anything. It's young people changing what should have been changed decades ago. Anyone I speak to who was Muslim or, or Arab who grew up here, who experienced 9-11, said that their life changed forever after that. And people didn't stand up for them. And I think now with Trump, it just made people realize it, it, Trump is just a symptom of things that were existing already. And he just made them worse. But he exposed, I think, a lot of issues that existed in terms of bigotry and anti-immigrant sentiment and just made it 
fueled it, but it existed before. And living through that, actually, especially in a progressive city like New York, uh, made me see the other side of people who were just so outraged by this and trying to fight bat and back. And I'm wondering, you know, if, I, if Trump hadn't arrived, would these people have been mobilized to this extent to fight back and talk about these things? So in a way, there's a silver lining, I think. People are just realizing, like they just got shocked into realizing things that I think a lot of minorities knew already, but to the general public, maybe not everyone knew. And it's a very divided time and it's a very scary time. Again, I think the pandemic just exposed things that we knew, that the healthcare system is broken, that people don't have trust in government. It basically came across political lines when it's just basically should be talking about science. And maybe the problem here is communities have, that the pandemic has just made people feel like it's a political thing. Being in the midst of that, especially in the country that had, according to numbers, the most deaths than any other country, as far as we know, obviously we, we don't know for sure, is a very crazy time. And the elections and being a reporter in the midst of all this, <laughs> I just see the difference between people in power and people who are trying to change the narrative and change what's going on on the ground. It's been challenging, of course, because the market here is not very open to people who've been educated abroad. Even though I did get educated in Canada and the UK, still surprisingly. And that was a shock, honestly, to me. My husband is also an ER uh, doctor. And so he was in the midst of working, you know, in a county hospital in one of the poorest areas in Brooklyn and uh, Flatbush. And they were hit very hard. They got very overwhelmed, actually. That was very tough. I'm doing much better than the beginning of the lockdown. The lockdown was just very depressing time. But I'm okay now, I think. As okay as you can be, you know, in these crazy times. <laughs> Egypt has actually a very strong history of women leaders and women feminist movements and people don't know this actually historically you know obviously going back to ancient egypt we had queens and uh, pharaohs that were women and all of that and it's kind of a tricky history because we've gone up and down where there were times where like women were succeeding very much and there were times where it was the middle ages and stuff like that and women were very active actually in the beginning of the 20th century it was a very open society, actually. And then when, in the 1970s, the government opened up the doors to Egyptians to go live in the Arab Gulf, which is traditionally very conservative, they went and worked there for job opportunities, and then they came back in the 70s and 80s. And then Egypt started to become a bit more conservative. More and more women started getting pressured to wear like things like hijab. It wasn't anything law. It's not like Iran or Saudi Arabia where you have to wear it. But in certain neighborhoods and not all neighborhoods, you will find more women wearing the hijab and that's fine if it's their choice. But right now there's been a discourse of women rising up, making it be their choice how they wear. And that's becoming a women's movement as well in Egypt. And then we also had a 
recent thing in Egypt now where, because sexual harassment is very bad in Egypt, like street cat calling. And New York actually used to be very bad too, but Cairo is even worse. Being part of that was very exhausting because I remember when I was a child, it was like almost, if not every two to three men when you're walking, it would be at least every five men that would cat call you. And imagine that takes a huge toll on your mental health. I remember like the early 2000s, a lot of people started fighting back and there's a huge movement against sexual harassment actually that started happening. There are challenges, but women are fighting back. We're not this, these fragile, passive people that the medium often makes us seem. Uh, we have this weird dichotomy <laughs> between what's seen in pop culture in Egyptian TV with women wearing mini skirts and all these things and talking about very sexual things. And then you go to on the ground and like more conservative neighborhoods and it's the complete opposite. And you just have these parallel worlds in Egypt and you go to like more liberal neighborhoods, you could still find people maybe wearing dresses and stuff like that. And it's just like, depending on where you go, the amount of decisions you need to make on what you need to wear. Like if you know you're gonna go to downtown Cairo, which is more conservative, then probably you will dress differently than if you're going out to a club or a bar where you know that maybe you can take a car and just drive straight there. That was honestly exhausting, but it's changing, I think. At least there's people trying to change it. But here in comparison, I mean, like I said, I can wear a clown costume and no one one would care. (laughs) Maybe that's not the case anywhere in the States. Like I'm sure if you went parts of rural US, you can't just wear anything. People will judge you. They might be homophobic if you're gay. Maybe if you wear something that's not not what they're used to. You know, maybe if someone is a hijabi woman, she can't wear in parts of the country. But I feel like the challenge is much longer and much higher in Egypt. There's a lot of religiosity in both countries, both very conservative, actually. Unless you go to like New York or San Francisco, overall, you can find your pockets of that you can escape in the US. In Egypt, it's harder. The pockets to escape are much smaller. Here, to some extent, you can get your rights more. In Egypt, the police harass you. They're actually the worst perpetrators. So how would you go and report sexual harassment if they will harass you themselves in New York City? I feel like it changed me in the sense that I can just be myself. I don't have to worry so many times, what am I going to wear? It made me more like I shouldn't care what other people think because everyone around me doesn't care about what people think. Like I've seen people just do the craziest things in New York. And I love that actually, that... You'll find someone playing music, you know, in the middle of the street. And actually no city I've been to has that same extreme acceptance of anything. London, people might be outraged sometimes if they see strange things. You know, Toronto, also people are very polite. Here, people just do not care at all. And that's a great way to live by, I think. Who cares? Just live your life kind of thing. would cover mostly political issues, foreign policy. Also at some point would cover women's rights as well. I worked a bit with The Guardian for a while. I worked a little bit with The Financial Times for a while. And at the same time with local newspapers, 
one called Egypt Independent. It's an English language uh, newspaper. And then our newspaper actually one time uh, management changed and we actually got censored and shut down. And we tried to keep it alive. They were saying it was for financial reasons. And so we said, we'll do a concert and like did a huge fundraising event. And we fundraised way more than they said they needed, but they still decided to shut us down. And so we did a huge campaign where we said, okay, we're going to publish our final issue. We published it and we basically published all the articles that were controversial because they wanted to, they thought we were too controversial. That's why we got censored. And so eventually, you know, we got shut down. And so the entire team decided we're going to do our own newspaper, our own news outlet that's independent completely. And we called it Madamas. And it's bilingual. It's both in English and Arabic. It's a progressive news outlet. It's probably the only independent news outlet right now in Egypt. That's the reason why I love journalism is you really get to, you really get to know people very closely, especially if you're doing things at the community level. And people, you know, they're just very passionate about a cause. I just see the side of resilience. You know, all these people who are surviving, like not just surviving, but thriving in a way, even despite the challenges, like all kinds of communities that are trying to find solutions and are trying to make their community survive this very difficult time. And I think that's very beautiful. You know, I wouldn't have known as much if I didn't experience it myself. So I'd love to eventually do my own business that changes narratives around the Middle East and North Africa and the Arab world. And just really tells our human stories, but at the same time connects them to the foreign policy issues and the politics and finds a connection between both. And not just, you know, these are people who have interesting stories or not just the politics, but like, let's connect both together. That's one path I'd love to go for. But at the same time, I'm also thinking communications is also something I'm very passionate about. I love the idea of changing narratives. And so for me, it's like, that's my final goal. I want to change narratives. And that could be through journalism, and it could be through podcasts, and it could be through storytelling, and it could be through communications, you know, like all the above have that goal. And so I'm really, at the end of the day, passionate about doing that, which is narrative change. I want people to know the stories of the different communities that live here. People who come from all over the world, hoping for a better life and not always getting it, sometimes getting it and sometimes succeeding and doing amazing things and doing research and discovering amazing discoveries, you know, in science and STEM and so on. And sometimes just not being given that push, just being unlucky that way, or being also from a black community where you've been here for centuries through generations. I hope to tell these stories of people who are resilient and surviving and trying to find innovative ways to do so. Reach out to people who have been through what you've been through. You know, other immigrants or people of, if you're a person of color, reach out to people of color, reach out to people who have lived abroad, all these things first. I mean, not, not that you shouldn't reach out to other people too, but it helps to have that community. People who've been here for a while will understand what you've gone through and will have learned some, some lessons and will give you morals to learn from. And yeah, my biggest moral is don't feel despair, even though it's hard. <laughs> And realize that also sometimes it's just the, it's nothing wrong with your experience or your 
capacity. It's just sometimes the system doesn't want to be employed as much. They don't prioritize people with your experience, even though you might have so much experience, you might be very educated. It's not you. It's a system that doesn't value you, but you can persevere and make it happen eventually. And if need be, you know, then don't be in the system. Do your own thing if you can. You know, obviously it's easier said than done. Bring what you can, bring the value that you have and don't try to mute it. Don't try to mute your background or your language and try to change to fit in. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. This week's episode was produced and scripted by Bruna Shapira and Ariel Kandel. Editing is by Anna Semskova. My name is Daniela Golombeski, and I am thrilled to be your host. For more information about Real People, Real Lives, and the transcript of this episode, head to nywomenimmigrants.org. Next week, you'll meet Rosa, a babysitter and early childhood worker from the Dominican Republic. The third edition of Real People, Real Lives, Women Immigrants of New York is made possible in part with funding from the William Table Hillman Foundation. Join the conversation by sending us an audio message about the episode or series at anchor.fm slash realpeoplereallives. You can be featured. You can also reach us at realpeople at nywomenimmigrants.org. See you next week.